I grew up in a world where the high holidays meant one thing. They were taken seriously. But to me as a little kid, when Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur rolled around, much like when Passover rolled around, there was one thing on my mind. New duds. I was getting new clothing. My twin brother Adam and I would be going on down to Nathan Borlam. Down, anybody know Nathan Borlam's? Down Lower East Side. It was more like a speakeasy. You had to like knock on the door <laughs> and let them know who you were. They'd check you. And then you'd make your way in and start making your way through boxes of Izod sweaters and Pierre Cardin suits. If we were going to shul in Great Neck, we were going spiffed up. Penny loafers, you name it, no pennies. Clothing was a very big topping in general, I think, because especially on Yom Kippur, there's a distinct mark. There's a distinct change that covers over the best clothing, the most prestigious looking suit. This pajama that I'm wearing tonight. <laughs> it represents a tension that I think I am personally feeling that maybe you are as well. A tension that Yom Kippur seems to hold in its dual meaning that we will explore in the next couple of minutes. This white garment and the white garments of those who are sitting here, known as a kittel. There are many reasons given for why we wear white or specifically why we wear this kittel. Some say that, of course, it is connected to the purity of white, the angels, whom we hope by the end of Yom Kippur we are as pure as emulating them, hoping to be cleansed. It's a beautiful interpretation, but more likely, the kittel is a shroud, a death device designed to remind us that we are all ultimately passing through. We are all avar yanim, as we just said earlier. We are all those who are ovrim. We pass through, as Ellen Liu said. We are the impermanent ones, and we know that we are impermanent, and it is precisely for that reason that we are all here tonight. Let's be honest. People bang through the doors of local temples, synagogues, people who have never been there, people who don't want to be there, find themselves coming because one reason, and it isn't the banquet on Yom Kippur. <laughs> it's because we get it. We get that as the leaves begin to fall, as the seasons turn, we come together because we will pass together. We are the ones passing through. And so this Yom Kippur dress is part of the elaborate dress rehearsal that I am reminded of every year and I remind all of you of. This is a dress rehearsal for the great moment, our eventual and inevitable demise. Yom Kippur's dress aims to shake us 
to our own infirmity, our own not knowing, our own vulnerability for the sake of something that we will get to in a moment. But let's call it what it is. It is a fear of death. A fear of not finishing what needs to be finished, not completing all that needs to be completed. This kittel on one level and in one moment represents that fear, that limit. And I'm feeling a lot of that fear this Yom Kippur. I'm feeling the intense pain and anger and uncertainty that many of you might be feeling too. I know that in this room and in many like it around this city, this country, the world, there are people who are holding so much of that fear, that pain, that anxiety, as well as rage and frustration and legitimate feelings of loss and betrayal. There's an entirely other meaning, though, also to this kittel and to Yom Kippur. The other valence, the alternative face, is that of life and love and marriage. How many people thought of that when they thought of Yom Kippur? Life, love, and marriage. The Talmud records an odd teaching in the name of Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Shuman ben Gamliel, excuse me, who said, there are no days as joyous for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av and as Yom Kippur. I'm feeling the joy. Are you feeling the joy? <laughs> he bases it on a verse. Tseena or Reena, go out, daughters of Zion. Gaze upon King Solomon, upon the crown which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. This verse, he explains, is the day of his wedding is the day that we receive the second tablets, the day that we were forgiven and we re-entered a relationship with God. This is a celebratory second wedding day, Yom Kippur. A Valentine's Day, a day which according to another rabbinic teaching was the day... When daughters would go out dressed all in white to find their shidduch, their jade date. <laughs> Yom Kippur, not as fear, but as a return to love. Fear and love. Fear and love. Fear and love, love and fear, will and grace, grace and will. Time and timeless, timeless and time, all of that in one white garment and one 25-hour period. How are we going to hold those tonight? Fear, love. Love, fear. And really what's more important, how do we love them all year round? How do we hold those? So tonight I want to introduce... Two frames to help. And they're both based on an incredible word that we use and frequently don't think about. We wish each other on this day and not on any other day in the year a gemar chatimatova. We say, Berosh Hashanah, what? Yikasevun, yikatevun, uveyom som kibur yecha temun. We are inscribed, we are written into the book of life, and then we say that on Yom Kippur, may we be sealed. Sealed. 
Something in the duality of the of that word also participates in the duality of love and fear. Yeah, you with me? Let's look at this. Chotam. We wish each other a gemar chatima, a good chatima, a good sealing. What's it a seal? There are two very important ways that the seal speaks to us. The seal originally was not generic. A chotam was a label that didn't lie. It was an ancient stamp, engraving, set in stone, a metal, some hard substance like crystal. It was usually a symbol or a figure that was used to make an impression of clay or wax. It was your unique identifier, your calling card, your crest, your insignia, your affixed seal was your signature. It was your sign and it was your assignment. A chotam, a seal, was the mark we left behind, a moment captured for posterity, our intention recorded for good even long after we were gone. That John Hancock signature, that chotam, meant I was there. I intended it. The first frame for chatima tova, a good seal for all of us, is from the Torah in a sordid story it makes its first appearance in the story of Yehuda and Tamar, Judah and Tamar. Those who don't know the story, I'm just going to run through it quickly with you. Judah is, of course, the fourth son of Jacob. He is the son of Leah, the less, of Leah, the less loved sister. He is also part of the plan to murder his brother Joseph. After he sells his brother down the river to Egypt, not unlike the prophet Jonah we will read about tomorrow, he goes down from his brothers, he leaves them behind, and the Torah brings us to chapter 39, where the Judah, who is all by himself, and while he's all by himself, Judah has three boys. The first two of them he marries to a woman named Tamar. The first one dies, the second one, in a practice called levirate marriage, marries Tamar again, but he also dies, Er and Onan. And then the third child, whose name is Shelah, which means what? Belonging to her. Shelah, belonging to her. The third son, Judah does not want to give the third son to Tamar, and so he withholds the third son. And Tamar, who is a widow, waits. One day Judah is by the side of the road. He went down with some of the other shepherds, and he sees a woman who is veiled, doesn't know that it's his daughter-in-law, and he propositions her. She says, I will not have relations with you unless you leave something with me, some kind of collateral, because you can't pay me. And so Judah leaves his chotam, his seal and his cord and his staff, Later on in the story, they come to Judah and they say, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, she was supposed to not have been in a relationship, but she's now pregnant. And they condemn her to death. Horrible story. And this is the moment. What should I give you? She said, give me your chotam, your seal. She's 
she comes later and she says, fine, you've condemned me. But I'll tell you something. The one to whom this seal belongs, what? That's the father of the child. Judah, who was the one who condemned her, was standing there as she rhetorically said, to whom does this seal belong? That's the one who is responsible. And then Judah does an amazing thing, everybody, and he becomes forever the master of returning. He says, she's right. Sadkami many. She's right. I left my chotam. I left my seal. I left my signature. I was there. There was an imprint. Judah, who has all the power in the story, has every reason to say, you know what? Fake news. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't there. I have an alibi. It's awesome. Judah in the moment is presented with his own signature, with his own imprint of wrong, of making a mistake, of hate, of missing the mark. It's right in front of his face. And Judah says, she's right. She's right. Chatima tova. That's a good seal. This past year, when everything was up in my life, when everything was up in this country, when I couldn't find a place to rest my head, I decided at that moment it was a perfect time to ask my staff to do a review of my uh, managerial capacities and who I was at work. <laughs> so it came back. And what they wrote was probably no different than anything you'd see at any growing organization struggling to stay relevant, a young organization. But what I heard stung me to the core. There was a huge distance, I realized, between me on the pulpit and me by the water cooler. It wasn't pretty. My first thought was, how dare they? How dare they give me pushback when I was the one busy getting arrested earlier in the year, sitting down in the middle of Broadway, standing up for marginalized and threatened people. By the, I was the one getting arrested. It was me. I'm, I'm being accused of being a victimizer? How dare they criticize when I've worked so hard to build this place? How dare they? I was hurt. And more than once, I'll be honest with all of you here, I teetered on the verge of breaking down. I wanted to run away like Jonah, whose story we are going to read again tomorrow. I wanted to just skip out. I'm done. Hurt so much to hear the criticisms. And even though I had legitimate reasons, I mean, I have a newborn baby, so I'm tired. <laughs> we have a growing community, so I'm tired. Life under a new regime is exhausting, and so I'm tired. And then I realized that what hurt the most wasn't that my colleagues were telling me something 
That wasn't true because I knew very well that they were right on. I knew everything they said was true. I felt it in my bones. It was that moment a friend of mine said, you know, when you're in an argument and the other person is absolutely right and you're just arguing and all of a sudden you find yourself realizing that they're right and you keep <laughs> arguing. Right? That's the moment where that, you want to know what ego is? That's ego right there. You want to see it? That's your ego. It's like, oh, right there. That wasn't what was bothering. What bothered me was that when your narrative is about being a victim, and I felt that I was, I couldn't let go of that narrative to hear somebody else's narrative. I couldn't allow that potentially I had had an impact, a chatima lotova, that my signature, my imprint wasn't a good imprint, that where I was leaving myself everywhere, there was debt and there was pain. My own insecurity, my own fear of being too weak or not a good manager. This first frame of Khatima, this first frame is called the debt frame or the debt ceiling, like a seal, right? In this debt, in the Judah frame, it's about a Khatima, it's about what I owe. I signed a ledger. What do I owe you? What's the pain and the recompense and the reparations? What is it that you need me to pay you back with? How do I pay it back? And when it comes to debt, there is fear. Our ancient Hebrews probably copied this imagery from their neighbors who had kings sitting in judgment, looking at their subjects' books to make sure their accounting was right. When the book was open, thinking, oh my God, keep the book open because i got to pay it back. i got to pay it back. That's Judah saying, what did I owe you? I hurt you. You were right. What do I pay you back with? We want to know that we're not in debt any longer. We want to pay those debts back. It's a perfect understanding of the day of Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur and Khatima go together. Yom Kippur from the word kofar means ransom. Today is ransom day. And it asks you and you and you and you and you and you and me and them and every single one of us, where have you signed something as an IOU that you need to make good on? Where are my IOUs? I owe you. How do I ransom that? Man, Tracy Chapman has a great line, right? She says, all that you have is your soul. All that you have is your soul. When we pay back our debts, we get our souls back. Pay back, soul back. So I owe yous. Achatimatova says, how do I pay you back? If you read any of the literature of the great bodhisattvas and the righteous men and women who lived in our tradition or in other traditions, one of their last desires in their last will and testament is make sure that you give this back to someone. I borrowed it from him. Go read Rav Cook, his tzava, in the writings of Rav Cook. He's about to die and his children are around. He says, make sure you pay them back. I don't want to leave the world with a debt. I don't want to leave the world with a debt. 
I have a good signature. You can count on my signature. When I go somewhere and I make an imprint, I own it. I own what I owe. I own what I owe. Chatimatova. Such a strong moment for us to be able to hear that. And what about Tamar in this story? Tamar is amazing in the story because she calls Judah on his stuff. You see, when we don't call people on their stuff, they get to smuggle it into our relationships. When we don't own our stuff, then we smuggle our own stuff into the relationship. When I don't own what it is that I owe, then I just get to, hmm, free ticket. There's no integrity there. But Tamar, she says, not only do you have to own what you owe, but I'm not letting you smuggle it in because I have a responsibility to tell you you owe it. There's a powerful, powerful frame. And it's so much about the fear, the kittel, the first moment of death because the ultimate limit on our limitless illusion is that we have all the time in the world to pay it back all the time in the world. So here's a story that I heard this week, and it just floored me. There was a young man who had become estranged from his father for many years, and he found his way to the Wailing Wall, to the Kotel Hamaravi. He came to the holiest wall right after his father had passed away, and he was full of remorse, full of regret for the large role that he had played in the estrangement, a role that he had never acknowledged. And he put a little personal note, he wrote it onto a card, and he put it into the wall. God, please help me. And another note fell from the wall just as his was placed in, and he picked it up from the floor and began to shake uncontrollably with emotion. The note that he picked up was written by his own father. And on a different visit to that very same wall, his father had placed a note in the wall and said, please, God, help me. Own my part in the estrangement from my own son. I tell you, when I heard that story this week, I called my dad and said, Dad, I love you. <laughs> when we are in this robe of death, this shroud, we are limbed by what we have time to do, the time we have to pay what we need to pay, to have a good signature, a chatimatova. But there's another kind of chotam, another kind of seal. It's the second frame of this kittel. It's not a contract that we sign, but a blessing that we receive. It's not an I owe you, but an I love you. It's not based on deficit, but on surplus. It isn't rooted in fear and limitation, but love and dignity. And it's a different kind of chotam. It's a different kind of signature, a different kind of imprint. At every wedding that I'm privileged to officiate at, there's a moment when we do this thing called the ring thing. The ring thing. As a couple, I see, I think, Richard and I saw Claudia up there. As a couple stands right next to each other, they say these words, my love I give you this ring as a symbol of our commitment to honor, cherish, work on, and celebrate our love. I give you this ring 
this hotam. As a symbol of my love, as a symbol that every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. The connection between love and death, between love and death, is in this verse from Song of Songs. Place me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your hand, for love is as strong as death. Would the, if a man offered all his wealth for love, he would be laughed to scorn. The Beatles had it right. You can't buy love. You can't. Love, unlike fear, has no limits. Love leaves us with surplus, not deficits. Love is always additive and not subtractive. Love isn't keeping score. Love is for its own sake. There was a moment in my marriage where I was going through um, a metal detector at Newark and nobody told me not to take off my ring. And so I did. And you know what happened to it? I lost it. Thank God my wife lives here. That's what I tell my boys. You know, whenever I drop them off at school, I say to Bear and to Tal, and I, God willing, will say to Or, I say, where does Abba live? Where does Dad live? And then they go like this. Right here. Right here. Place me as a chatimatova. Put me as a sign, as an imprint on your heart, not because you owe me, but because I love you. Take my love with you. Know that when you're lonely, when you're scared, I will be with you. A chatimatova, when I say to you, chatimatova, I might mean be afraid, you better pay back your debts, or I might mean I hope that the seal of love lives in your heart. When I was seven years old, my parents sent me away to sleepaway camp. It was the first time in my life that I had been away from my family, and it was the first time that I was separated from my twin brother, Adam. My parents hoped it would give me confidence to be in a different bunk and it would build character. But three weeks later, they were called into the camp to pick me up. My counselor, they were told, had been beating me. I was scared. I was scarred. And I was deeply traumatized. On this day of Vidui, I don't mind telling you a confession. I don't mind sharing how devastating that experience was for me in my life. For years, I struggled with my own self-esteem. Every time I saw anyone in a position of power or authority, I, ima I immediately imagined that they too were dangerous. So of course, I myself avoided ever being an authority figure. Working at restaurants, I never wanted to be a manager. I was always a waiter. 
But at some point I realized that if I didn't move from what had happened to me to what was happening through me, if I didn't move from what I had been given in the past to what I was now being handed in the present, I would never move on. And so eventually, I decided to do just that. I didn't stop being angry. I didn't forget what had happened. But it meant I was ready to differentiate between what was very limited. Like my ability to go back in time and change the childhood I wish I had had to what was limitless, which was my ability to open my heart towards the future that I still might have. Here an IOU didn't work. I had to forgive debts that could never be repaid because life will give us things that will never, ever be fair. What was I owed? A happy childhood, parents who were always there for me, friends who love and empower us, right? Teenage years. This isn't just my story. It's all of our stories tonight. We all have the IOUs in the world, some of which can be repaid and many of which cannot be repaid. And so a chatima tova, a good seal is a seal that reminds me that even when I'm alone, even when I am in that place of fear, there is love, my love. My love, God says. Spirit says, love says, my love, my love, my love, my love, open to me because I owe you is not the same as I L you. I love you. And if you are like this, you won't receive it. You won't see it. The exquisite risk that Mark Nepo calls what it is to be alive, the exquisite risk of letting go of a past that we can't change and being open to a future that we can, paying it back and loving it forward, that's the truth. And the truth is one of God's great names. God's own signature is truth. When we are afraid, we close down, but we don't have to. Not long ago, someone sent me a video made by an Arab-American artist named Karim Suleiman. I wanted to play that for you in the next three minutes if you guys would watch.
You just saw someone ask for a good seal. Place me as a tattoo of your heart. A sign of my love. Karim learned that while fear is always a debt, love always pays off. The chotam of love pays forward what IOUs pay back. Again, Mark Nepo. We are the only creatures who can go astray and can be encased in a cocoon of our own making, but that can shed that cocoon more than once in a lifetime. The cocoon is only one stage of your life. It incubates, and then we fly again. If when we suffer, we're not just broken, but broken open. If when we love, we are loved and loving beyond our sense of ourselves, we lose ourselves in a good way. That is a chatima tova. Every gesture we make, every moment is a part of our signature. Our ring thing. You know, I want you to go home tonight and make three lists. On the first list, let there be the lists of those IOUs that are yours. Whom do I owe? And what do I owe them? And ask yourself, can I repay them? The second list will be, who owes me? What do they owe me? Just put it all down. Who owes me? And ask yourself, who can pay it back? If they can, ask them for it. If they don't, own yours and release theirs. And the last list is a list of I love yous. Little moments where there are people whom we say like this, we close our eyes and say, my love. I have a friend who's here tonight who says to her children, my love, my love. I love it when she does that. Shalev, my love. My love. Where does Abba live? Right here. As we leave and wish each other a chatimatova tonight, I beg you to remind yourself that when your heart opens, that chatima, that seal becomes a pticha, an opening, an entry, a new beginning. Let us affix our seals and signs, our signatures on new IOUs and new I love yous to each other. Telling each other in the wise words of the prophet what we need to hear tonight and every night, signed and sealed and delivered with love.